0: morning bay area church to those who are here and those online so if you read your email from pastor brian that zach would be preaching this morning i'm not zach so pastor brian is out this morning he is preaching down at coastal community church in galveston filling in for the pastor there who's on sabbatical so pray for him this morning um, pastor zach ended up with covid so pray for him pastor cade um, is on a mission trip with the youth. They were supposed to be in Boston, but they got got to spend an extra night in Charlotte due to weather on a church floor with a few dozen youth. So pray for all three of those guys. Um, but it's too late to leave without being awkward, so you're stuck with me. So... <laughs> um if for those of you don't know me i'm chad strange i'm one of your lay elders and so we're going to continue um our series this morning in the book of galatians so you can be turning to galatians chapter three Um, but we're going to continue this study in galatians and in full disclosure i did want to let you know that the um the main points of our sermon this morning are from pastor zach so Um, For two reasons. One, they're really, really good. They're very helpful um, to bring out the meaning of this text. And number two, the bulletins and the PowerPoints had already been done. And just for the sake of trying to keep things um, a little simple. So those main points are Pastor Zach. So I wanted to give him credit for that. So as we're studying through this book of Galatians, um, Paul is desperate. Paul is desperate with the Galatian believers and with us for us to understand grace, for us to understand what God has done in us, for us to understand what salvation is. And so in the book of Galatians, it's it's almost like Paul is, you know, holding up a diamond and he just keeps spinning it around and spinning it around and looking at it from a different facet, a different angle, trying to help them and trying to help us understand what grace is, what salvation is, what this thing is that Jesus has done for us. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're just we're looking at a, a different facet of that. And, and what we're going to do this morning, what Paul is doing in this passage, is he's helping them look at a before and after. You know, what were you like before faith in Christ? What are you like after faith in Christ? What are you like before salvation? What are you like after? And he's using that to try to help us better understand what this looks like. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be in Galatians 3... Um, Starting in verse 23, we're going to read through Galatians 4-7. I'm going to read this, follow along. When we're done with this reading, we will say together the very words to differentiate the Word of God from what I am saying. So starting in Galatians 3, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also... When we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The very word. You may be seated. So what we're going to look at over the next few minutes is we're going to look at these verses in the framework of what were we like before? What are we like after faith in Christ? So Paul starts with this idea of before. So what was life like before faith in Christ? Now, if you have grown up in the church, especially if you grew up in a Baptist church or an evangelical church, we love to talk about grace alone, faith alone. The reason we like to talk about that is because it's right. It's biblical. The problem is, is that sometimes we say, we we get so fixated on grace alone, faith alone, that we say, okay, there's really no rule for the law. We don't need the law. The law doesn't matter. And Paul has actually talked about that in the book of Galatians. And over the last few weeks, um, as we've gone through this book, we've seen that over and over. So we talk about this idea that when we become a Christian, it is Jesus alone. And that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus anything. And I think most of us, we get that. It's grace alone, faith alone. But Paul is saying here, now wait just a minute. It's like, you still need to understand the role that the law plays, the law doesn't just become nothing. Because if you think about it, every single one of us who are Christians, there was a time in our life when we were under the law. And if you think about it, for every single person on the planet alive today who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, they are still under the law. So, this idea of the law, it matters. It matters to us because that's who we were before Christ. And it matters to everyone currently who is not in Christ. So he wants them to understand the role of the law, what we were like before. And so he says that before faith in Christ, that we were captives under the law. And that's one of the blanks there in the bulletin, that we are captives under the law. And he shows that in two specific ways, how we are captives in two specific ways. The first is that he tells us that the law is our guard that the law is our guard. In Galatians 3.23, he says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. He says, you need to understand about the law that, that without Christ, you are in prison under the law. That is the law's job, is to imprison us. So how does the law do that? The law says, you should not whatever. And we do it. The law says you should not do this. And we do it. And so what the law does is it points out to us our guilt. The law's job is to show us where we fail. It is to show us where we come up short. The law's job is to show us our sin. And the law is very, very effective at that. And what it then does is it shows us that we are enslaved. We can't stop sinning on our own. We're in prison. We are guarded. That's what the law does. Its job is to make crystal clear that we are sinners. And so when you think about the guilt, the shame, the regret that we're all familiar with, That's the law doing its job, showing us that we are guilty and we should have regrets and we should feel shame because we're lawbreakers. That's the law's job, to imprison us. Paul shows us a second thing that the law does, which is a little more gentle. He says that the law is our caretaker. So the law is our guard, it imprisons us, but he also says the law is our caretaker. In Galatians 3.24, he says, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So on the one hand, the law shows us what we've done wrong. It shows us why we should feel shame and guilt and regret. But on the other hand, he says, the law is our guardian. And the way I like to think of this, if you've ever taken a kid bowling, you go to the bowling alley, and you know for kids, they put up the little inflatable bumpers um, in the gutters so that the ball kind of bounces back and forth, and it keeps it in the lane. That's what the law does for us. The law is like bumpers on life, and it says, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, stay away from this, stay away from this. It kind of keeps us going down the middle. That's one of the roles of the law. Now, the reformers, the, the Protestant reformers back in the 1500s, they talked about these two things all the time, that the law had a dual function, that its one job was to convict us of sin, and its second job was to keep us in line. And if you think about it, just in a society, if you think about the United States of America, and you take God completely out of the picture, we need both of those. We need law. We need to be able to tell people, you should not do this, it is wrong, and you should stay within these parameters, life goes better. And so that's the role of the law. Now, what is fascinating is Paul starts with this in this passage. He starts with the role of the law before he moves to the role of grace. And there's a really, really important reason for that. I work at a cancer hospital. I work at MD Anderson. And so if someone at MD Anderson says to you, you know what? we're going to do major surgery on you, you would say, no, thank you. I would not like major surgery. And if we said to you, you know what? We're going to start you on chemotherapy. I don't really want to be on chemotherapy. Thanks, thanks anyway. If I just give you the solution without giving you the problem, you're not interested. But if I say to you, you have cancer, And so, we need to do surgery, and we need to put you on chemotherapy. Now, the solution is a good. It's like, oh, if I've got this problem, then that solution's okay. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He was like, you have a problem. Before Christ, before faith, you have a problem. You are in slavery to sin, and you are rightfully under the condemnation and judgment of God. You have a problem. Before Christ, we have a problem. And every single person we know who is not a believer, they have a problem. And it's real. And that's why Paul starts with that. But he moves on. So that's our life before we are slaves to sin, we are under the authority of the law. But we're going to move on. He moves on in this passage. What our life looks like after faith in Christ? What does life look like after faith in Christ? The first thing Paul shows us is that after faith in Christ, after we have been saved, after we have become believers in Jesus, he says that we are free. And that's one of your blanks to fill in. We are free. Galatians three twenty five says, "But now." That, the, um, that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. But now, we are no longer. What Paul is saying is, you used to be under the slavery of sin. You used to be under the slavery of guilt and fear and shame and regret. You used to be like that. But now, no longer. What Paul is saying is, is what, you, what he's saying to the Galatians who are, who are looking at turning back to the law. He says, you are missing the most amazing part of Jesus. You are missing the most amazing part of the cross. All of that stuff that used to hold you captive, it doesn't anymore. You are free. And what I am convinced is that so many of us, so many of us are still as believers in Christ, more identified by our guilt and more identified by our shame and more identified by our regrets than we are identified by the freedom that Christ purchased for us on the cross. Paul says, you are free. So free from what? We are free from the penalty of sin. And that's a big deal. All of the penalty, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, all of the penalty for your sins that you have committed and that you will commit, all of the penalty for your sins, God placed on his son on the cross. I want you to hear this. God cannot, there aren't many things God cannot do, God cannot punish you for your sins. God cannot punish you for your sins because he put the punishment of your sins on his son on the cross. He cannot punish the same sin twice. It has been finished. You are free. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free from the penalty of sin. But we are not just free from the penalty of sin. We are also free from the power of sin. Right now, in our life today, living life, going to work, going to school, the Bible says that we are free from the power that sin has in our lives. This idea that we can't help it, that we're just going to do these things, that is from Satan, not from the Bible. The Bible teaches that when Christ died on the cross, he publicly put Satan to shame. His power was crushed. Which means that in our lives, the power of sin has been crushed. We have the ability to walk in newness of life. But he doesn't just free us from the penalty of sin. He doesn't just free us from the power of sin. He also frees us from the pollution of sin. And let's be honest even those of us who are in Christ, we well understand the pollution that sin still has in us. We still understand what's still in there. We know. But over time, he even frees us from that pollution that sin has in us. Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are free. But he goes on and he says that also in Christ, after faith, that we are children of God. That's the next blank. We are children of God of God. Galatians 3:26 says, "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons." And that is a broad word, sons and daughters. "For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith." Paul talks about this idea Um, in the book of Ephesians a lot. He says that before Christ, that we are without Christ, separated from Christ, without hope, without God in the world. In Ephesians 1, he says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and that we are objects of God's wrath. Before Christ, before faith, we are objects of God's wrath. But in Ephesians 1, Paul says, but in love, he predestined us to adoption. To himself as sons that God predestined us to be adopted into his family and I want you to think about this we were alienated from Christ we were dead in our trespasses and sins we were in the prison of our sins if God just looked down on us and said I forgive you that would be amazing If the only thing God did was say, I forgive you, we would spend all of eternity praising him for that. But he doesn't just forgive us. He says, I want you to come close to my table. That's amazing. It is amazing for God to take people who are enemies of him and say, I forgive you, and I want you to come close. But God doesn't just do that. He says, I do forgive you, and I do want you to come close but I want you to be in my family. I'm adopting you as my children. Because what that means is that even as Christians, as we sit here today, we are all keenly aware that we still sin, that we still, still fail God. We are keenly aware that we aren't lovable. And what I want you to hear, what I want you to feel this morning, is God saying, I see all your garbage. I'm well aware of it. And I'm crazy about you. I delight in you. You're my child. You see, we don't get that. Because we're not like that. But God says, what I did through my son on the cross, was not just forgive you, I made you family. And God is saying to us, what grace means is God whispering in your ear, I know you're garbage. And I'm crazy about you. Grace is not just having our sins forgiven. God is, grace is having the sovereign God of the universe delight in you. This is not about believing right things about the cross, although that is really important. Grace is about you hearing God's delight in you. And so Paul goes on, because this doesn't make sense. You ought to be asking yourself, how is it God could delight in me? I'm not delightful. I'm not. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. I'm not lovable. And neither are you. And so Paul shows us how this works. He moves on and he says that we are covered by Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We are covered in Christ. This is how this works. So God looks down on me and God looks down on you and he says, I delight in you. I treasure you. I am crazy about you. And I sit here and think, how in the world is that possible? And Paul tells us how it's possible because he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We have put a giant cloak of Jesus' righteousness around us. So when God looks at me and when God looks at you, the only thing he really sees is the most lovely thing in all of creation to him, his son. It says that we are clothed in Christ. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see all your garbage. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see the sin that you keep doing over and over, even though you promise you won't. He sees Jesus. And there's nothing that he loves in all of creation more than Jesus. That's what grace is. Grace is not some theoretical concept. Grace is the God of the universe saying, I choose to love you. I choose to delight in you. I choose to see you as my son. Not because you're worth it. Not because you've met all my standards. But just because I'm that way. that is staggering that is staggering that has consequences so paul keeps moving galatians 328 he talks about the fact that we are one in christ He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, okay, if if this is right, if through God's love and grace and mercy, he has chosen to set you free, He has chosen to forgive you. He has chosen to bring you close. He has chosen to make you a child. He has chosen to bring you in the family. He has chosen to lavish his affection on you. He has chosen to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. If that is true, that has to change everything. That has to change everything. And this verse in Galatians was radical, in first century Palestine, and it is radical today. Because what Paul is saying is, if that is true, we are Jesus people, and that's it. We don't subdivide on race. We don't subdivide on nationality. We don't subdivide on economics. We don't subdivide on political parties. We don't subdivide on male and female. We don't subdivide on anything. If this is true, if God has really done this, then there are Jesus people and people who are not yet Jesus people. And that's it. I don't think you need me to tell you our country right now is being ripped apart using the tactic of telling us we're all different. Our leaders on both sides are ripping this nation apart by saying, you go in this silo, you go in this silo, and you're this color, and you're this color, and you're this education, and you're this party, and this your part, and they're trying to push us all apart. And what Paul is saying is, in the church of Jesus Christ, that should be inconceivable. In the church of Jesus Christ, we are people of grace. If I have received this from God, I have to extend that to you. Whether you look different from me, believe different from me, came from a different place than me, whatever. If I have received this grace again to Paul, it would be inconceivable not to extend it. In the church, we are one based on this grace. The last thing Paul talks about in this passage is that we are heirs to the promise. We are heirs to the promise. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And he breaks this down in two ways. Um, Galatians um, 4, 4, and 5, he talks about the fact that we are redeemed from sin to receive adoption as children. Those are some of those blanks. We are redeemed from sin to receive adoption as children. Um, Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is way beyond what we have time for this morning. But this idea of being heirs an heir is someone who gets an inheritance. These are just a few verses where Paul talks about this in other places. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the fact that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That by itself is mind-boggling. We are predestined to be conformed to look like Jesus. He says, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus' resurrection was so that he was the firstborn among many brothers. So who are the brothers? That's us. Okay, so we are now brothers. Paul also says in Romans 8 that we are fellow heirs with Christ. So God, through redemption, through Jesus' death on the cross, adopts us into his family, making us brothers with Jesus. Now, please understand, Paul is not saying we're going to become gods. There are other religions who do teach that. That is not what Paul is saying. He is drawing attention to the fact that God adopts us into his family and we are co-heirs with Jesus. Now, that ought to really make you scratch your head. So whatever Jesus inherits, we inherit. We are co-heirs. We inherit with him. So then you ask, what does Jesus inherit? That's a good question. The writer of Hebrews answers it for us. Anyone know what Jesus inherits? Everything writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says he inherits all things. So I don't know how this works. This is way beyond my pay grade. This is way beyond my ability to understand. But what the Bible says is that when God adopts us into his family, we are co-heirs with Christ. And when Christ inherits all things, so do we. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I can scarcely comprehend what that means. But here's what I do know. I don't have to get it all right now. I don't have to spend my time on this planet stockpiling and taking all that's mine because what the Bible tells me is I am a child of the king and my inheritance is coming. Now that doesn't mean I don't care about this earth. It means I care deeply. But what it means is is I have the freedom to recklessly follow Jesus because all of my good stuff is still coming. So whatever that means, being a co-heir with Jesus means that we can recklessly and relentlessly follow after Jesus. But he tells us a second thing about what this idea of being heirs means. And In Galatians 4, 6, and 7, he says that we are given his spirit to experience life with him. We are given his spirit to experience life with him. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God did not just forgive us. He did not just bring us close. He did not just adopt us as sons. He put himself inside of us. I think that if you grew up in church, we talk about this so often like it's it's no big deal. You know, I... You know, Jesus saved me and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That's like the third person of the Trinity inside of you and inside of me. Like, that's mind-boggling. Why did God do that? Because he wants us to feel. He wants us to experience that we are set free. He wants us to experience that power. He wants us to experience that wisdom and that direction. The Holy Spirit is inside of us because he wants us to feel something. And I'm telling you, from being a member of a Baptist church, I'm 51, for 51 years, I don't think Baptists do a lot of feeling. We do a lot of thinking. But it doesn't seem to me that God stirs us very often. And the fact that God has set us free and forgiven us and made us sons and put his spirit within us, that is supposed to stir something in us. So as we come to a conclusion, as we kind of wrap this thing up, to me, this lands two different ways this morning. In a room this size, I am keenly aware that there are people sitting in this room right now who you are not in Christ. You are not a believer. You're not a Christian, whatever you want to call it. That is not an experience you have had. And what I, on the authority of Scripture, need you to hear this morning is according to the authority of God's word, you are currently a slave to the law and to sin you are currently under the condemnation and judgment of God. That's what the Bible teaches. I think that sounds very harsh to us in 21st century America, but so does being told you have cancer. It is harsh. It is a harsh reality. But it doesn't have to stay that way. If you are sitting in here this morning... And you know that's not me. I am not a believer. I am not in Christ. I am not in faith. That's not me. That doesn't have to stay that way. Listen, there's nothing magical. There's no magical prayer. There's no magical card to sign. There's no magical aisle to walk down. You need to tell God, I need Jesus. That's it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get yourself right. You need to tell God, I need Jesus. And all you have to do is accept that when Jesus died on the cross, that was for you. So if that's you in the room this morning, I'm begging you, cry out to Jesus. I need you. Now, my suspicion is that for far more of us in this room, we are believers. We know we're Christians. We know that we are, we are in Christ. How should this passage land on us? Here's my recommendation. You need to find some place today where you're alone, where no one can hear you, and you need to shout. You need to cry. You need to tell God, thank you. This is the most amazingly good news in the universe to be set free, to be forgiven, to be washed clean, to be brought in and made a member of God's family, to hear the God of the universe whisper in your ear, I delight in you. That's worth shouting over. That's worth crying over. That is amazingly good news. And and I know that every time we talk about grace, it it happened in Galatians, it happened in the book of Romans. When we talk about grace, it's always like, but, 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 but but we, we still have to do this, we have to do this. And what I want you to hear is that if God has done this to your heart, you don't need someone to tell you what you can and can't do. If you feel what God has done through the cross to you, you're not going to be sitting there going, well, what can I get away with? You know, what, what, what can I? It's not, the, it's not the way it works. You're like, I'll do anything for this God. I will follow him anywhere. I will give anything. I will do anything. When your heart has been wrecked by that kind of grace, you're not trying to see what you can get away with. you will do anything. Our closing time today, we're actually going to spend taking the Lord's Supper, um, which I think is very fitting. Um, And so after the Lord's Supper, there will be people up here after the service. If you want to pray, if you need to come talk to someone, we'll be here. But this is going to be our our, our closing time. Um, The Lord's Supper is a very, very important and serious time in the life of a church. Um, If you are a believer... If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian this morning, I don't care what church you came from, you are welcome to partake the Lord's Supper with us. This is for all believers. If you are not a believer, if you are here this morning and you're like, man, that's not me, I am asking you not to partake. I'm asking you to watch because what you are about to watch is beautiful. What you are about to watch is a group of people who are messed up, who are sinful, who are hypocrites, and who are desperately loved by the God of the universe. And you are about to watch a group of saved sinners remember what Jesus did for them and to celebrate what Jesus did for them. So if you're not a believer, I'm asking you just to watch. You're going to watch something beautiful, but just watch. Paul says that when we take the Lord's Supper, that this is a serious, serious time. And so I'm going to give you 30 seconds a minute. This is a time to confess. It is a time to confess sin, to lay that before God, and then I will lead us um, through the rest of this time. So let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred. We have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. And we have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done the very things we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. Oh God, have mercy on us. Amen.